0: You're listening to The Process where we talk to some of the industry's most talented artists, from film, TV and game. From concept to previews to 3D animators, we talk about a personal project of theirs and take a look at the work that went into them as well as show an insight into the mind and workflow of each artist. Hi guys, welcome back to The Process, and in this episode we speak with Chris and an amazing animator based in Philadelphia. We talk through his process of his short animation, the Charms. For links to any relevant videos or images discussed in this episode, click the link in the episode notes. Chris, you look wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Chris. Hey. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm oh, brilliant. Thank you. Well, yeah. Thank you for joining us, um, Chris. And uh, yeah, I guess welcome to the process. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Absolute pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. How's your morning going? Uh, pretty good. Just been doing some work and setting this all up. Brilliant, man. What, what is it? New, new projects or? Um. New, newish.
1: It's one of our commercial projects. We've just been working on it for past few weeks, but gonna be starting the actual animation slash motion capture part of it tomorrow. So exciting! Uh, and then it's doing like two weeks, so it's gonna be tight. But that sounds tight. That's how it goes.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. commercials for you. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I guess let's just start off. Just a quick introduction, just the usual stuff: uh, who you are, what you do, and just a just a brief one. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Chris Theron. I am one of the
1: creative directors at Something's a Uh We primarily focus on doing uh, short form cinematic content for like uh, for companies, commercials, uh, and then just a bunch of our own short
0: films that we love to do in between of the actual like paid projects. So, and am I right in saying that you are a family business? Yep, yeah,
1: that's correct. Uh, we have. Uh, it just so basically cool. kind of worked out that way where we all like slot it into like one part of the process. So like I do all the production and 3D stuff and animation. Um, then uh, my brothers do the actual writing of it and come up with ideas. Uh, and then my mother com- does all the producing and organizing and sort of getting all the connections and things like that. So it all sort of works together very nicely.
0: Whoa, that is so cool. <laughs> and, and, and And that's been going for what, like naturally since... You got into um, 3D and or how did that come about? Well, we basically, it, it basically
1: evolved. Um, I used to have like a, I had a YouTube channel that I did uh, stop motion animation for like 10 years ago at this point, um, which then basically uh, transitioned into doing stop motion for like Lego and uh, other companies doing like little spots like that for YouTube and things like that, a few commercials. Um, and then at some point I basically started to slowly incorporate like 3D content Uh, into the stop motion to, like, sort of augment it, make it easier, better, you know, whatever. Um, And then, you know, as stop motion work was sort of drying up, uh, I started to learn uh, more and more about doing 3D, making shorts, doing uh, motion capture, and all that sort of stuff. And that basically uh, brought me to where I am today after, like, uh, I'd say, like, five years of actually, like, actually, like, focusing on doing uh, 3D animation as opposed to stop motion. And then, you know, in 2016, I think, early 2016, we actually... Uh, formed a official company out of like you know this sort of thing we were doing.
0: Awesome. And where did the name come from? Something's Ori Productions? Where's that come from?
1: Oh uh, yeah, Something's Awry. That that was. Uh, oh, right. I, Sorry. Yeah, no. A lot of people uh, mispronounced that. <laughs> right. Um Yeah, that that came about um, from my my older brother. For some reason, just for he's had the the name Something's Awry. Uh, apparently, since like middle school, he just thought it was a, a cool sounding name. Uh, and when it came time to actually form a company, that was sort of the one we went with. So.
0: I love you know just the just the history of of where you know studios come about and uh, yeah yeah you know how they get to where they are today that's great man so yeah today we are talking about the awesome unlucky charms uh, <laughs> short yeah so i mean lucky
1: charms is one of our many uh, personal projects one of our short films that we do uh in between of paid commercial projects so uh, this one we started way back in May, uh, right after we finished our previous short film, Grump in the Night, because uh, I really had an uh, uh, I really had an urge to do something horror related because I really hadn't done that before with a three D animation. My stuff's been a bit more like uh, whimsical, kid friendly sort of stuff, but uh, I really wanted to see what kind of like gruesome monster I could make. So um, it basically turned into um, Unlucky Charms. Basically, I would describe it as um, like Krampus, but with a Leprechaun as this mm. sort of ancient evil that's been summoned uh, through the bad deeds of like our, our main hero character. And the whole short film is basically him trying to uh, survive that.
0: And it might not turn out that well. <laughs> yeah, uh, Lucky Charms was one of my favorite serials uh, as a kid. Oh, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely uh, made me think again about <laughs> eating Lucky Charms ever again. Yeah. Uh, it it's a brilliant short. So, so the project be- before this was the... Grump in the Night with the, yep. the ghost and the family, yeah, yeah, which was really nice. I really liked uh, that and a really nice ending to it as well. Yeah, thank great. you. I mean, the these
1: two films couldn't be farther apart, but, um, but yeah, I really after doing something as like sort of um, as something as I guess family friendly as a uh, Grump in the Night, I really wanted to swing the the other way. And well, they're still both kind of spooky short films, you know. This one is
0: a uh, certainly a bit a bit more pg-13 you know how does a project start with uh, a brother who writes and then you come up with the creative side of thing
1: yeah i mean so the each of these projects pretty much stems from like what i want to do at the moment um what i'm really interested in sort of creating either be like a uh, type of character or world um or like some sort of uh, 3d technique so uh this one really stemmed from my my um not only wanting to create just a cool scary monster character but also sort of uh improving how i do human characters how i do the shading the texturing uh things like that because i'd done a lot of humans on grump of the night uh and there's a lot of like close-ups of their faces and stuff but i never felt like it was like quite there and the skin didn't look quite right or realistic to me and um i've always been wanting to uh take it further than that so for this one uh that's basically where it started is um what can i do if i take like a uh um if I just take, if I make a human character that just looks good under really bland lighting, uh, really sort of harsh, um, convenience store overhead greenish lighting, um, and how can I make that look good, basically? So um, the whole pre production of the short really was uh, working on those shaders, getting the texturing and all that sort of figured out. But in terms of the idea, the whole thing, um, there wasn't much of a script for this one. Uh, it basically stemmed from just an idea that was. Uh, conceived by my brother uh, back in 2017. It was a part of a big old email um, that had a whole bunch of uh, horror ideas that he had, um, and he sort of wrote them out. And one of them, uh, one of the ones we liked a lot was uh, Killer Serial Mascot. Um, So that's the one I really came back to after, uh, after, what was it, five years, basically. Um, And with the help of uh, my older brother, we were able to sort of uh, figure out some of the beats, refine it, but a lot of the... um, a lot of the sort of um, larger story or the layout of the story was basically it came uh, through my own just sort of brainstorming of like uh, how it might lead to this thing and that thing. Um, But yeah, there was definitely a lot of uh, ironing out that happened with uh, to try and get things to feel like it was still a a full story in this short four-minute time span. So uh, that's sort of how that whole thing came about. We
0: came across you, by the way, Chris, and we was like, we need to talk to Chris about this process. <laughs> this will make an amazing episode because we watched a bunch of your short stuff, uh, your animations, your films, and it was like, we need to talk to Chris. It's uh, your work. <laughs> we just instantly... We, we were all in the studio, sort of gathered around, just watching a lot of your stuff. Oh, thank uh, you. So, yeah, thanks for, for, for taking your time to do this.
1: Yeah, no, I'm just a big fan of doing the the whole behind the scenes thing for all the shorts. That's like that's like the, the funnest part is actually being able to collect all the random footage I collect from doing motion yes. capture and other test renders and just kind of putting into like a cool montage at the end. But that's like half the reason I honestly do these things. But um yeah, so I assume you can see what what's on my screen now, yeah. right? Yeah, so this is uh these are what all my storyboards look like. Um, since I'm the only person actually working on the project, pr- the production side of it, uh, I don't have to worry about making these these boards uh, very coherent or very uh, understandable to other people. But mm-hmm. um, that's pretty much how I create like the sort of beat by beat moment is is through this storyboarding process where um, I'm able to sort of map out the key moments of the short. So um, parts that I have in my mind that I know is going to happen. So, you know, you have uh, like him going to the uh, the mind... Realm with all the lucky charms and uh, all the giant sculptures and things like that. That's a key part of the film. Um, And then you might have um, other moments like when the monster appears and I have to connect this this first moment to the second moment and I sort of figure that out uh, through the storyboards. uh, Basically as I go to – basically as I go. So it's just a way of uh, figuring out a story without a a very uh, concrete script because it's all sort of – it just sort of – is on a moment by moment basis for this this film at least but normally in in a short like grump of the night at least that one had a whole script a whole um a whole process for sort of coming up with that that was a bit more structured than this one uh this was a lot more about the atmosphere about the Mm -hmm. um the tension and less so about you know having a more in-depth character or more i guess defined um theme you know but
0: well it's great to see these boards because I see a lot of the shots are very close, very um, accurate to the final. Even though these are super simple yep. drawings, your creative vision—like if you was to put this board next to the final frame, it's clear to see that you, yeah, like you said, you you have the vision that how you want these to look, and uh, you know the progress from um stick men and you know black (laughs) on white sketches to the final uh it's incredible
1: thank you yeah yeah like you can really you really can um put these side by side and i have done it for for some of my earlier short films um and they basically do match like frame to frame there's like a few Mm. tweaks here and there but um basically once i do these boards i'll take the reason i do them in animatic form so it's playing out like a movie Um, is so I can then take these uh, these shot shot. lengths put them into like uh, my 3d program uh, and then I'm basically uh, able to uh, create the animation based off of that so I know how long these shots shots need to be so I'll just tailor it around that Uh, once that's done I sort of drop it into this animatic and you know it sort of populates from there and eventually you know all these uh, simple stick men are replaced by like uh, the clay models or the untextured you know versions of the characters and you get a much better sense of the whole film at that point.
0: For sure, for sure. And do you do you start with, um, so your animatics, Do they? how in-depth do you go with the animatics in terms of audio um, and final sound? Is the audio a key factor to the animatics to help pacing and, and shot lengths? Or I'm thinking of the tension moments. Do you build those tension moments up in the animatic or do you just do that in the editing and you know for later on when you get to the editing yeah, yeah, stage so... of those moments?
1: Yeah. So uh, basically what you see in the in the stick figure version and in this um, rougher uh, 3D animatic is um, there's not what you see is what you get. So there's no Mm. audio over top of it. There's no music or voiceovers uh, that are used to basically judge the moment. But uh, normally in a production where you have like a lot of different people working on it, that probably would be a much better idea to do. Uh, but because uh, I'm the only one working on it for the production side of it, uh, I I like can basically visualize in my mind how it's going to sound, what the music's going to be like, uh, and I can basically then time out my scenes based on sort of my imagined version of them, uh, and it works that way. So that's why all these, you know, they're very sort of bare bones and might be lacking some of the normal things you'd see in like a more traditional, more fleshed-out animatic.
0: How long did this project um, take you, Chris, to do?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, in total production time, like if I exclude all the all the months and weeks that I was working on other things or doing or on vacation, things like that. It took just over four months and about a whole month of that was just rendering the film uh, and re-rendering it. So that was that was a really lengthy part of it. Um, but, yeah, started way back in, I believe, early May and then finished it uh, in middle of October. So um, but, yeah, it was really a sort of work on it on and off throughout the summer uh, and then finally doing the the final push uh, to get it out in October because uh, we really wanted Halloween. to get it out for a Halloween thing. Yeah, which of basically course. just kind of worked out that way. Uh, I was planning on releasing it in like early September originally, but uh, the whole thing got pushed once I realized how long the whole thing was taking to render. But that worked out in the end. So
0: Was there a contingency of, um, you know, did you anticipate, like you say, the rendering? or Was it sort of, did it delay things massively or was it kind of... You know. I
1: I had expected uh, long render times. Grump of the night, the short I did the short I did before this that took um, about a month as well. Um, but I I did I did expect this one to be shorter, but it really wasn't. It was it was longer, um, and that really just was just because of how complex like this convenience store was. There's so many objects, textures, um, and the lighting and all that stuff made it much harder to get like sort of a usable render out of the thing. So once I Initially did all the renders after a month. I look back on it and half the film was just kind of garbage. Uh, the renders were some of the renders were flickering. There were weird artifacts everywhere. Uh, it was the strangest thing. I'd never seen it before. So I ended up having to re-render basically half the shots to fix that issue. And in a few of them in the final film, there's so much duct tape over over a few particular shots to cover up all the issues that um, happened in the render. But um, but yeah, so that the whole thing pushed it back for sure by. Definitely, definitely like three weeks at least.
0: Rendering-wise, do you have a render farm, or is it one machine, or do you offload it to somewhere else? What's the um, setup that you have? Um, You know, software. I mean, hardware. I know it's Redshift, Redshift render, and uh, Cinema 4D.
1: Yep. So uh, yeah, I use Redshift Cinema 4D. Um, Our setup basically is its own very small render farm. So it basically is, it's two computers basically with four GPUs in each of them. Um, And yeah, we'll basically, I'll basically split half the shots up between one computer and the other computer. Um, I used to do uh, the sort of more traditional uh, connected render nodes and all that stuff where uh, they'll handle, handle the same shot at the same time. But uh, that was so prone to uh, to crashing, and then the whole thing would just be uh, a, like an overnight render would just fail. Um, so now I've I've gone to separating them between just separating separate shots into separate computers. So if one computer just crashes, the other one at least is still rendering throughout the night, and that got it done at least a bit quicker than it might normally have.
0: What GPUs out of interest?
1: Yeah, the uh, the my main one that I use is uh, has the four 2080 Ti's. So they're getting old at this point. They'll be uh, They'll be upgraded sooner or later, but uh, that's the that's the one I have at the moment. And then the uh, secondary render computer, that's just a bunch of uh, Titan XP GPUs, uh, Star Wars edition. Nice. So, um, you know, those I just had lying around, so I put them in a computer. And uh, they're also, they're still pretty good, but obviously compared to uh, GPUs today, they're, you know, a little bit old at this point. Is
0: Redshift, I mean, I am not sure, I've never used Redshift personally. Uh, is uh, Redshift, uh, does it rely a lot on GPU for render or is that... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Redshift is basically
1: just a GPU renderer, mm. and it's very fast at doing that. So that's why we uh, basically rely on that completely for all our stuff. Um, uh, you can other things like Octane are similar, but I believe Redshift is the fastest and the one that's least prone to giving noisy, uh, unusable
0: renders. Yes. Okay. Great. Great to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you go from um, into the animatic and you start doing uh, previews. You start prevising in the this, in, this, yep. in the scene, and you put that together. Um, do you model everything by hand? What's the process um, behind uh, your modeling stage of characters and assets and props and environments? And- yeah,
1: yeah. So it's a lot of it's a combination of pre-made models to save on time and of um,
0: ZBrush. You love to sculpt in Zbrush, yeah, Zbrush but, is,
1: yeah, ZBrush is ZBrush is our main thing for doing characters. Um, so we do all the characters in ZBrush. Uh, and then all the actual other modeling in cinema 4d but uh, for this film especially uh, there's a lot of pre-made models used in this scene in the convenience store uh, these are all pre-made pre-made models that I essentially bought separately and assembled into this uh, this convenience store setup that I designed because uh, you can't just go online and buy like a good looking uh, convenience yeah. <laughs> store set that that's unfortunately not a thing so this this whole setup here uh, is made up of probably like uh, probably like 25 or 30 sort of models that were all collected and sort of put into one scene. Um, but yeah, for the actual characters themselves, they're all, uh, this. that's another spot where we try to uh, sort of save on time uh, when it comes to doing modeling. So they're not made from scratch. Uh, they basically start from a base mesh of a mm-hmm. character, so mm-hmm. a, a pre-modeled version of just a generic human, uh, which we then tweak and morph and stretch uh, to create like more stylized, more... Uh, more iconic looking character than what you might normally have. So, uh, so fun fact, like, you know, the, uh, the convenience store guy uh, started as one base mesh. And then from there we took his model and then stretched and deformed him into the leprechaun model. So they're based off of the same guy um, Brilliant. as another way of, you know, save on time. Is, it, that. is that is um, that um
0: the same uh, amount of like vertices? Not not additional. Is it the same polycount essentially? Like yep, just stretching? they're exactly and, the same.
1: Yeah. Um, you could smoothly morph one into the other if you wanted to. Um, it's just stretch your limbs, uh, longer fingers, and of course the face is sort of, uh, a lot older looking in the, for the leprechaun guy. But it is but, just the same guy. So, we are we are all able to save on some time doing texturing because they have the same UVs. So sure. we're able to.
0: Recycle those between characters as well, but obviously one is much older than the I other. I love the look of everything about this uh, short. Uh, the, the, the leprechaun <laughs> guy, terrifying, especially seeing those tiny pinhole eyes in the in the convenience store. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, it's I love great. those. Um, well, so this is a. Did you do facial capture for this? What's this what we're looking at here? How did you do the facial animation for these? Uh, we don't do any facial animation facial motion capture
1: for these things um i find that to be too imprecise for the Mm -hmm. sort of beats i'm looking to hit so uh it's all animated by hand using this sort of bare bones uh facial rig that i've uh made over the years so this is another one of my characters where i have the same you can see the facial rig on the left Mm -hmm. uh which just has a couple of pre-made sort of things for smiles frowns um opening the jaw smiling things like that that we can mix and match to create all these different sort of emotions um and one of the biggest challenges in this short film is the, the convenience store guy basically has to uh, look uh, – has he has to have the look of pure terror on his face for, like, so many scenes. Uh, so that was a whole process of so, sort of uh, revamping the facial rig, adding a few more shapes to it so he can really push his, uh, push his eyebrows and pushes uh, the rest of his face into looking a bit more terrified because, um, well, these rigs that I create here, they, they wouldn't work for, like, a Pixar film. You know, they can't actually – they don't have the ability to speak. Um, and do really subtle emotions, but uh, they work for those sort of um, more action, horror-focused things that I do uh, in like Grump of the Night or in L- Unlucky Charms, so uh, they're very tailor-made to the sort of yeah. work that I normally yeah, do. Yeah,
0: clearly, as long as you can you can do a, a terrified face in uh, this yep. one, then, yeah, that's a half the battle.
1: Yeah, exactly, because making these facial rigs, basically, I can do it in about uh, two hours now to... Uh, from just bringing a character into Cinema 4D to actually bringing it up with all the emotions, um, just because I've able to, I've done it so many times, I've gotten down to a, uh, to quite a science at this point. Um, I've even made this like little uh, chart here that has that shows all the um, different face shapes that I have to hit to create a uh, usable face rig. So, um, you know, various half smiles, half frowns, sneers, blinks, all that sort of stuff. I've collected into this sheet, and that just is a good reference for me when I'm putting together a long list of like blend shapes to do in the characters
0: and that's great great uh to see this chris it's awesome man
1: so you do blocking stage yeah no no no. there's no uh no blocking for for this since it's basically just a uh, motion capture uh the whole way through oh you go straight um, into it yep so basically every yeah every scene it basically it comes in at a more complete stage because of motion capture it takes off the uh the initial you know brunt of the work of trying to set that all up so once we um put together that whole animatic we then go into the actual motion capture stage where i'll then act out the whole film um, i did this in about two hours for unlucky charms um, and once i get all that data i can just bring it into the blank scenes and then build it up from there pretty much so there's no we skip over the whole blocking stage and all the other parts you might normally do for mm. traditional animation and that just cuts down on the time and uh, gives me a much better idea much earlier on of like how the film actually looks and how it's sort of uh shaping up to be you know
0: yeah that's that's uh, a great time saver and it works so well.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, motion capture obviously isn't isn't a uh, be all end all to uh, animation. There's still a bunch of uh, work that goes on top of it, doing the facial animation, making sure the feet stick to the ground, mm-hmm. and that he makes contact with the things he needs to uh, to do. But it definitely, I, I couldn't animate this whole film from scratch. It would take uh, way too long and not look as good. So I'm very thankful for that. We have like these days, like con- good consumer grade motion capture that you know doesn't cost like a bajillion dollars. What, what
0: about clean uh, cleanup? Was there uh, obviously that's the next stage after MoCap. Um yep. was that a long yeah, process? So like you say, there's no, a, it's so, all I those mean, like subtle moments, isn't it? Like making sure things connect and making sure yeah, things don't yeah. go, th- you know.
1: Yeah, so luckily I mean I used uh, the Perception Neuron 3 um, from Noitum, that's like the suit I use and it's very, it's a very stable suit. And so there's not a lot of, uh, traditional motion capture cleanup, you know, fixing jitters and, uh, making sure it feels a bit more stable. Um, basically what you see is what you get, uh, and any, uh, cleanup I do is basically, uh, like I said, making sure feet stick to the, uh, stick to the ground, making, sure, making sure his hands make contact where they need to be. Uh, and then just sort of tweaking, like, you know, if I want him to be looking like, you know, 30 degrees to the left or, Something like that. Doing that sort of like performance cleanup uh, is a lot of what I do. But in terms of making sure it's uh, making sure
0: it's not jittery and all that, there's not much of that going on. And does the Perception Neuron suit come with uh, gloves? Or is that um, an additional... Because it... I've got a friend yeah, who uses a... the Perception Neuron, I think one of the early, early Neuron suits. And um, we, we use Rococo, but I really uh, okay. like the look of, you know, the fact that you don't have to get into a suit... Yeah, yeah. I the, know it's not a massive thing to get into it, but the fact that you can just put put the sensors on rather than climbing into a suit.
1: Yeah, the sensors. I, I've tried out like the the suit versions of the, of like motion capture things before. They're uh, a bit too uncomfortable for me, but especially when you're doing a lot of physical activity, it's uh, gets pretty sweaty. But um, for the uh, perception neuron, it, there's an option for gloves, um, and, but uh, to do like you know finger motion, hand capture stuff like that. But I don't use that. Um, it's another thing where similar to facial motion capture where it's too imprecise for what I need. And, um, and so I basically would, if I did it, I'd have to go back either way and delete all that animation, do it by hand. Um, so one of the, you know, one of the rigs that I actually set up for my characters is having a, uh, is like over here, I have hand controls where I can put them, put their hands into uh, preset sort of poses. Like you can see, I have a, mm-hmm. a fist pose, a rest pose, uh, spreading out the fingers and then a pointing pose and that's basically all i need and then if i need a more specific pose i'll go in and make one but um it's this is a lot quicker than me having tried to uh finagle with uh with all sorts of sort of janky motion capture sensors on fingers and things like that
0: like it's clear that you like to um add physics and like i notice the earrings and. The chance for like particles with the the lucky charms. Is that something that you just enjoy doing? Because you because you could have easily had no earrings, for example. Uh, yeah, I, the earrings. That was basically a part
1: of my initial sketch for the characters have to have these uh you know piercings in his ears because that sort of felt right for his sort of uh his sort of vibe. Yeah. Um, and at that point I I made the character rig and after I did that I was like, all right, I guess the earrings probably should dangle. They 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 clearly would. Um so i had to make a thing to do that and they pretty much work but um but yeah the uh doing this uh doing the physics for the cereal like a guy being pushed into it i was not uh looking forward to doing that but um <laughs> luckily you know I, after a bunch of finagling i eventually got something that su- was surprisingly stable for having like a twenty thousand plus uh lucky charms colliding together it didn't really uh it didn't jitter like at all which after after a bit of a uh, working on that but i was very i was very happy it didn't it didn't drive me crazy because i've i've done simulation things before and it's uh it's it's always been like something that i bang my head against the desk trying to figure out and eventually i just have to come up with another workaround
0: okay and, and was that handled all the physics handled in um, cinema 4d as well is that was that the yeah. main was there any external software that you use for this process
1: no yeah i mean cinema 4d is great at doing the sort of um at doing, especially like hard body uh, and soft body simulations, so I wasn't really worried about that, but certainly uh, I've never tried it with twenty to 30,000 Lucky Charms, so that was a big question mark for me going into this.
0: Out of interest, uh, Chris, what is your obviously you, you clearly do uh, end-to-end the whole process um, have you got a favourite stage that you enjoy doing most? Well, is there a bit that you kind of clearly hear the uh, particle, <laughs> the shot with the Lucky Charms is there any part of the process that enjoy most
1: uh yeah the uh definitely by the end that is that is my favorite process uh doing compositing doing the editing and sound design all that stuff uh at the very end of it once i've gotten through all the hard part of doing lighting doing animation um doing all that all that stuff which is still i enjoy it but it's uh it does get tedious after a while and so um especially getting into compositing taking all like the the fresh frames that you just got from like the our small render farm uh and being able to add the color add the smoke add the other things you know um that is a very quick process and it's like uh, you finally get to see it all come together and you put the extra bit of shine on top of the render to make it look really good and um you know when i'm doing all that i kind of kind of like be able to i can just lay back and sort of um and sort of just do it, and it's not as much of a, a stressful uh, experience as doing things like doing the lighting and um, and animation. What
0: software do you use for um, compositing? Is the
1: uh, I use After Effects. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that. Yeah, if I were to do longer, if I were doing longer uh, form content, then it might be a, an issue for After Effects. But I'm that's basically what I've been using for you know fifteen years or something like that. It clearly yeah.
0: works absolutely fine. Yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> I mean it's... I don't do a whole lot of
0: compositing either way, so yeah, it's all all fine. Awesome, man. Um, kind of quickly going back to um a bit earlier on in the process. Uh, I'm we may have gone over it, but in terms of like concepts and um v- the visual design of the whole um, short, do you spend long, like with references and uh, style guides, or do you kind of have it and you kind of go with it and see where it comes out because it's clear like there's a really nice style uh, across not just this shorts but the other shorts
1: yeah yeah there's um in terms of uh style guides and inspiration and like Pinterest boards and all that stuff um, I do have a lot that I do for uh, characters like whenever I create a character uh, there's always going to be a Pinterest board uh, to uh, to come up with inspirations and references and things like that for when I'm doing the sketches. Um, for actual visual inspirations of like um, the overall aesthetic of the short or things like that, there's never there's never really been um, there's never really been any sort of mood boards or things like that. Um, purely because again, it's it's sort of similar where I'm the only guy working on this, so it's all basically in my mm-hmm. head, um, and all my shorts kind of stick to a very similar style of like um, I call it like stylized photorealism. Um, kind of like just the Pixar style pretty much um, so I sort of work off of that when I'm approaching a short is that's going to be the, the style and then you know any sort of mood or lighting or things like that I just have uh, imagined in my head and you know I don't really ever have to put it onto a board and sort of use that as inspiration. No, that's
0: great I guess yeah work, working more on a, on a personal project you can just uh, yeah keep it and, and go with it and not have to worry about all oh, the other stuff you kind of keep yeah. contained within the. Yeah, exactly.
1: The the I mean, field. that's just that—that that is one of the benefits of, of having a smaller one-person crew. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot more streamlined. But you know, then you, the the downside being you're the only guy working on this, so it's uh, all down to you, and it can be a bit more stressful because
0: of that. Yeah. Was there many uh, late nights? How did you sort of juggle? work uh, and was there any nights where you thought oh, I can't do anything I'm so I'm such a long day how would you balance the the, the professional work with oh, but this is obviously professional work? how do you balance the the daytime yeah, yeah. work with uh personal stuff
1: uh well you, you, luckily you know the way uh the way sort of I get projects or paid projects is it, it's not like consistent flow of things you know sometimes um we'll have projects and then there'll be like some downtime in between that and then we'll get some more projects. Uh, especially during the end of the year you know they all start to pile on but um because this was during like the summer and that's usually a much slower period uh there was actually time in between that where this was basically all I had to work on so uh luckily it didn't be it wasn't pushed into doing late nights or anything like that um and of course the other benefit of this being just a short film that I'm doing for myself uh there's no due date there's no uh yeah. benchmark or dates I have to hit to show people or things like that so if if something was, if I wanted to take my time on doing like a rig for a character or fixing all the lighting issues and optimizing things, you know, I could do that and it wouldn't really matter. I just kind of work at my own pace, but, um, there is a, there is my own internal ticking clock of, uh, my interest in the project, um, which does eventually run out if it goes on too long. So, um, you know, if I had, if, if I had, uh, delayed on this project too long and goes into, uh, then I just kind of have to stop working on it or it just gets, you know, release next year once all the other projects die down. So,
0: uh, is there any sort of uh, tips that you have uh, for for like efficiency on a production like this? I have a whole I have a whole sort of workflow that I that I use at this point, which
1: uh, there's a lot of corner cutting, a lot of uh, streamlining of the the whole process to make it uh, more achievable for one person. Um, I did do like a I think like a talk for Maxon back in like July that sort of oh, went nice. over my whole workflow. Um, and I recommend people like, you know, check that out if they, they want a more detailed look at that, but it does sort of boil down to, uh, some of the things i talked about before, uh, with like ZBrush, where I use a base mesh to start from for modeling characters instead of going completely from scratch, which would take a lot longer, um, then d- designing sets where I use a lot of like pre-made models that I'll modify and, um, sort of work or tweak to work in the scene, uh, as opposed to, you know, again, modeling completely from scratch and then motion capture is another thing. And then, um... And then just basically having the – uh, and, and, yeah, making, like, my bare bones facial rigs um, that only – they're designed only to do what they need to do and not – and they're not over-designed and over-engineered uh, engineered to be, like, this fully realized character. So all that sort of stuff combines to make these things uh, still take a long time but take a lot less time than they might normally do if I was just one person uh, starting, like, my very first short film and just doing this all from scratch as opposed to starting with my more – uh, optimized workflow that I've gone through at least you know four or five times at this
0: point. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, what What about the uh, the cloth? How do you yeah, get around yeah. sort of cloth and the clothing for this type of project?
1: Yeah, whenever whenever possible, I, I design characters with uh, more form fitting clothing that Tight does clothing. not require uh, <laughs> simulation. Um, this, I, I, came into this project wanting to do cloth simulations, um, for all the clothing, uh, cause that's what I did in Grub of the Night where all the characters had baggy pajamas and robes and things like that. Um, and that was, that process was fine. I basically just used Marvelous as a designer. And, um, after I do the motion capture, I'll just bring it into Marvelous and do all the simulations and bring it back. And it works pretty well. It's, there's some janky stuff, of course, cause it's a whole, it's a whole thing, but, um, but for this one, um, yeah, I designed the, the leprechaun has this long trench coat thing um, that I was anticipating doing a lot of uh, simulations on. But for some reason, this project, I don't know, something about the, the characters or uh, the way I set it up, it was not the most stable thing doing uh, simulations. So in the end, there's really only like a few shots that have simulated clothing for the convenience store guy and the uh, leprechaun. Uh, and you can spot them here and there, but... Uh, luckily, you know most of the clothing is just stuck to the characters yeah. for most of the scenes, and you don't really notice it because um you'll either see them from the waist up or you know it's too quick to it's tell. It's a great
0: way to get around uh, having to deal with all that, especially when there's no yeah. dedicated uh cl- you know simulation teams to handle that stuff. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. It's 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 and my the same thing I have with uh, doing. Other simulations with like the serial and all that stuff is um I really try to avoid it because it, it can be such a unpredictable mess half the time. Do you
0: um go shot for shot when you're creating these, or do you kind of go back and forth uh with with creating shots?
1: Usually I try to do it um more or less from beginning to end in a sort of linear fashion. So um so yeah, basically the um the, the shots the shots were completed in the order that they happen in the okay. film. Uh, In previous short films, I've sort of jumped around a little bit more. um, And especially if there's a really hard shot uh, that I just have no (laughs) idea how I'm going to do, I save that to like the very end uh, when I might have learned a few more techniques Mm -hmm. along the way. But uh, for this one, since there's not really one standout shot that's like super complicated, it was just beginning to end and pretty simple from there.
0: Is there anything from the stop motion world and experience um, that you've carried over into uh, the CG world or do you, is it fully CG now? Or how do you, is there any hybrid Uh, at any point?
1: It's very, very occasionally I'll do stop motion. Um, I think my last like stop motion commercial gig, uh, that was like two years ago at this point. Um, And uh, and since then it's pretty much been just all CG, um, which is what I prefer. You know, that was my dream while doing stop motion is to eventually... (sighs) Uh, Get to the point where I can not have to be in like a basement uh, standing up for like twelve hours a day, uh, but on my computer, you know, sitting on like a couch or something like that, uh, and do it all from there. Which you know, that's basically where I am now, which is uh, much better. Um, It's a much better way to way to work, in my opinion. Um, So yeah, not really much, uh, not really much of the stop motion stuff that's been brought over. But um, in terms of of a way to introduce yourself to filmmaking, you know, that's kind of how I started with uh, Lego stop motion. Back in like 2008, I think, when I was like really young, Um, and that sort of that sort of started to develop how I light scenes, how I do cinematography, uh, and all that stuff. And you know, practicing with Legos on like these very small pre-built sets—that's like that was like such an easy way to ease myself into the whole uh, filmmaking process and start to learn, like you know, how to do better lighting, how to do good camera angles, things like that. So, you know, that was a definitely a a benefit.
0: Yeah, that's uh, just playing with um low budget physical yeah physical objects um yeah exactly it's a lot it's it's so much cheaper and uh it it looks good so yeah it's brilliant um what what about um cameras for this uh chris so how are you um tackling like the camera side of things is there all done by hand is there any fancy virtual cameras um or is it um all done manually
1: Yeah, it's really for this shot or for this uh, short, it's really like a 5050 between the um, just uh, hand animated cameras that are like very simple, like dollies or pushing in things like that. Uh, And then the other half of it was um, not quite a virtual camera, but I have an app on my phone, which is uh, I believe it's called CamTrack AR or CamTrack AR, CamTrack VR, one of the two um, that basically does record the uh, motions of your phone in 3D space. And you can then bring that into like Cinema 4D and use that as the actual camera for that so there's a lot of handheld shots in this where Mm -hmm. um yeah where you can see that that definitely has a bit more of a natural feel to it It doesn't have that sort of a cg fake shaky effect that um you might see on like some other some other um, projects but you know i try to use that when possible because it really does sort of uh boost the the realism i guess of like a shot make it feel a bit more uh, i guess
0: visceral yeah, you, there's nothing that can beat that sort of real feeling of a camera moving. Yeah, even exactly. if it's just a subtle sort of shake and, and movement and noise to the camera, um yeah. adding it on like sort of, you know, noise modifiers, you can never beat having Yeah, exactly. Uh, that that real movement. Brilliant. Yep. Brilliant. Uh, how are you um what are you doing with this um short film? Are you enter does it enter like to film festivals? Um what what would you do after it gets released? I know there's a lot of behind the scenes and talks mm-hmm. and things like this um, but where, where does it go after that
1: yeah it goes like a bunch of places you know we upload it to uh, to our YouTube uh, Instagram Facebook all that stuff um, we also put it on uh, CG meetup they have a YouTube channel and that's like our sort of main way of uh, promoting it from there um, and then uh, I love to then break out all the behind the scenes stuff and the videos and things like that and like uh, post them onto my Instagram which is where I sort of uh, focus a lot of my a lot of my efforts on on sort of promoting that whole thing um and then for the actual film you know that goes uh we also do that for like submit it to festivals things like that uh more relevant for grump the night because that's a more traditional sort of a festival film where it's uh more feel-good friendly sort of thing but uh for this one you know we're definitely we i believe we definitely submitted it to at least a few horror festivals and some other things and you know we do that whole that whole route but that's obviously more of a secondary thing for us and to just promoting it online and getting people to see it that's our brilliant. primary focus
0: brilliant uh when's when when are you making a feature film that's a question i've got to <laughs> ask and and if you uh, do one... if you were to ask to make a, a feature film i'm surely you wouldn't do it on your own <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh maybe one
1: day you know there'll be some sort of uh some sort of feature film from me but uh i i currently am very afraid of having to tackle something more than four minutes because of all the all the stuff that goes into that but you know, like you said, if I were to do that, there'd be a, a actual pipeline, you know, more people, uh, more than one for sure. And hopefully that would be a lot, a lot more manageable.
0: Now, I imagine that door, you, that door is going to get knocked soon at some point with uh, <laughs> a big, bigger, one even bigger projects. Because, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're so good. Uh, we, we love watching what you've done and we're going <laughs> to continue to watch. I'm going to go and check out the, the Maxon um, behind the scenes talk. If you, oh, can yeah, yeah. Se- if you can send that over, it um, yeah we'll do. We'll, we'll get, get the link and watch that. Um, but yeah, uh, it's just great. We we love talking um, with people like yourself, Chris. Have you got any advice for uh, anybody that were to make a film, short film in CG on their own? Any off the off the top uh, pieces of uh, advice? Yeah, my, I mean my main bit of advice
1: that I try to give is uh, pretty much the way I. I sort of built up to doing what i do now which is uh starting like so so very small um if you go into like my instagram and like scroll backwards obviously all the work gets smaller it gets more um it gets more simple things like that you know i i'm very much guilty of uh when i first started out doing cg of like uh trying to jump right into doing like this really long uh like it was gonna be like a six minute short film um that I and I did a bunch of like prep for that character modeling, all that stuff. And eventually it sort of just collapsed because I had, this was like my first actual like CG animation that I had done. Um, and you really can't just like you know, uh, you can't, really just can't bite off that big of a chunk, uh, when you first start out. So, you know, when I in like 2020, I believe I really started to uh start out bit by bit, I just did like one uh short animation for one shot, one angle, two characters, you know, uh, really simple just to show that I could like you know do something and then after i did that i moved on to the next one where i had like another angle so i have like two shots now um and maybe like one character doing like some action stuff and then you know i go from there and eventually you know that led up to uh doing things like grump of the night where now i have you know like 30 shots and like four characters things like that um and then finally to where i am today with uh unlucky charms and that's a a whole different genre and, uh, and has a lot of uh a lot of other newer techniques and things that I definitely wouldn't been able to tackle uh, back in 2020 or back in like 2017 when I first started doing 3D and um, so yeah, really just really just starting small, ramping up um, and using each of these projects as a a way to motivate yourself to learn like a new technique, uh, which is what I do. You know, like Grump of the Night was my excuse to try and really learn doing cloth simulations on characters, um, and this one you know was a way to. Uh, refine the skin shader techniques that I use and the way I texture characters. Um, so that's just sort of my way of learning and my way of uh, actually being able to uh, slowly ramp up to doing what I do today.
0: Brilliant. For the next project, what kind are you sticking with the the horror theme? What's is there a Christmas thing coming out? What's <laughs> what's next? Or if you can talk about it. I mean, well, right now it's uh,
1: we're right in the uh, the holiday uh, the holiday commercial project, so we are stuck with those for. Uh, the foreseeable future until like January or February or something oh, like okay. that. So, yeah, no, uh, no shorts at the moment. I have, I have ideas uh, for things I want to do, but um, when I get the time to do that, probably in uh, around March next year, I'll start working on that, and you know, we'll see how uh, what that turns into. But it's all pretty much uh, up
0: in the air at the well, moment. Well, we look forward to whatever uh, is coming out of uh, your studio, Chris, and I'm um, and potentially maybe it's another Halloween themed. If you're starting next March. April, uh, yeah, we'll see. If it's taken. We'll see what
1: happens, you know. Yeah,
0: for sure, man. Um, c- quickly then, before we, we wrap this up, uh, Chris, because we're coming up to an hour, it's flown by. I could easily talk to you for another hour, <laughs> easily. Um, talking of, so you, you, it's Redshift and Cinema 4D. Have you been interested or toyed with any other types of software like the buzzword of Unreal Engine and <laughs> other kind of pipelines? Is there anything that you... Have your eye on to test out or are you um, happy to stick with what you know because there's nothing wrong with that of course
1: yeah pretty much at the moment I, I i stick with sort of what i know um i have um i i keep i keep my eye on the unreal stuff you know it's interesting it's it's not up to the uh, visual fidelity of, of 3d at the moment so i stick with redshift um and cinema 4d but you know i imagine in like five years ten years that's going to be uh pretty much how it is you know it's going to be pretty real time which will be great for for my sanity but um yeah for other for other workflows you know it's um sticking with my zbrush substance painter cinema 40 redshift after effects that's my whole uh my whole workflow sticking with that at the moment uh, and then as things pop up you know along the way maybe I'll start to uh, start to learn that maybe do some fluid simulations at one point or uh try to really nail down doing cloth simulations and get that to not be uh, a janky mess but yeah at the moment I'm going to keep it safe, you know?
0: Yeah. Stick to what you know. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Question. Yep. Have you ever opened up Blender before?
1: I have. Yeah, I did do a, I did do a tutorial of, of for it in 2020 when I was um, wondering what, what, what it was all about, you know? um, But, you know, it definitely has a bit more of a learning curve, but I, I wish, I wish um, Cinema 4D had the support and the, uh, all the awesome plugins that people make for that one. uh, Cause I, I do just see all the stuff that all the um, add-ons and, uh, other things that people make for it. I'm so jealous that, you know, Cinema 4D doesn't have that sort of uh, that sort of support and things like that. But and they also update way quicker than uh, than all the 3D programs. Um, but yeah, it's a, I, I, I'm used to Cinema 4D. So, you know, I'm I'm sticking with that feels. Brilliant. Yeah but blender yeah it's it's definitely uh, another one to uh that's why i recommend everyone else who uh, wants to get into 3d because it's free and it's only getting better and better so
0: yeah absolutely uh, we, we're, we're big fans of blender here at our studio chris and i'll just i always ask the question um, yeah yeah <laughs> you know um and yeah everybody at some point has picked up blender at some capacity and sort of you know opened it tested it out and uh, you know mainly good things um to talk about with blender but uh yeah, who knows? It may be part of your <laughs> pipeline in the future. Um, okay, Chris, is there anything that you want to sort of mention or? No, I
1: think we uh, we pretty much covered it. You know, that's great. That's pretty much what's what's going on with me, and uh, something's awry.
0: Awesome, man. Well, Chris, like I said, I could easily talk for a lot longer than this, <laughs> but it's so great to speak to you, Chris. Awesome, man. Yeah, and thanks very much for having me as well. Absolute pleasure, and yeah. let's stay in touch, man, because we would love to um, you know keep up with what you're doing and. Uh, who knows, collaborate yeah, one day in the future, but thank you so much for your time, Chris. Thanks for having me. Brilliant, man. Well, <laughs> all the best, and uh, we'll speak to you soon, man. Take care. All right. See you. Thanks, Chris. Bye, buddy. Oh, that's real good. If you're looking for more conversations like this and can't wait for the next episode, head over to our YouTube channel at Big BigTooth Studios or follow the link in the episode description.